Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Why don't you go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word, please. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The story of Jesus continues, and it says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we come to you today. 2,000 years after this story of Jesus unfolded on the other side of the planet. From different backgrounds, different jobs, different, different seasons of life. But we come in commonality because we are all in need of you. I pray today, Lord, that this word would come alive to us in our hearts. That we could live out the gospel. That you would teach us, that you would... You would Correct us if we need it. Empower us. Fill us with your spirit this morning. We thank you for the time of worship we've had to align our hearts with yours. In this moment, Lord, we, we lift up wholeheartedly Pastor Dave Rao. For many of us, he's been a pastor. For me, Lord, he's been a mentor, a boss, and now a friend. We pray for his healing. We pray for his heart, Lord, that you would guard it, protect it. Pray for his spirit for vision for the future. Allow us to come around him and this church in this season. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. You can have a seat. My name is Ray Del Toro. I pastor a church. Uh, we're located right now in Corrales. Um, it's called Annex Church. We've been there for, we just celebrated eight years as a church. I started it uh, with my wife when I was 24 years old because Dave told me I would be stupid not to. And so um, it has been a wild ride, as you know, in the church world. Nothing is easy, but we made it through COVID. So I feel like if we're there, like, like we're going to be here for a while. Um, our kids, uh, I brought one of my sons with me today named Racer, and uh, I walked him over to the kids' area, and he was like in awe because they meet in an elementary school. So we're right next to the elementary school, and our kids get checked into the dirty cafeteria. So he walked into your kids' area, and it was like Disneyland. You know, he was like, wow. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Let's, uh, let's not get too comfortable here, son, because we're years away from that. We've been teaching in our church through the book of Mark, and uh, I don't know about you, but something about reading the book of Mark has been resonating with my soul. I actually told Dave, your pastor, and my wife, I said, I feel like as I teach through this book, there's a great possibility that I fall in love with Jesus all over again. 
Because Mark is the, we call him the immediately guy. In your translation, it probably says, and immediately Jesus went here, and then immediately they went there, and immediately Levi followed him, and immediately, 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 I think 47 times he uses the word. I like the Eugene Peterson translation, and he just goes, and then, and then, and then, and then, and I just love that everything is so fast-paced. In fact, the book of Mark was originally written for Christians in Rome to be read out loud in a gathering like this in one sitting. That you would go to church, they'd sing some psalms and hymns, they'd have some times of contemplative prayer and praise and celebrate a feast together, and then someone would stand up and just read the entire book of Mark. If you're a good reader, you can get through the whole 16-chapter book in 40 minutes, and if you're a little bit slower, it might take a day or two, but that's okay. Here's your homework. I'm going to give you homework at the beginning of today's talk. Go home this week and just read the whole book of Mark. You get the whole story of Jesus. Mark is a great storyteller. He's giving us this narrative of this Jesus who arrives. He begins teaching in synagogues. People are, people are, are disrupted by his behavior and his speech. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite of his day, cannot stand him for they challenge their power, for he challenges their power. And, and everyone begins to bring their sick and their needy and those who are demon possessed to him. He is delivering people, healing people. People, miracles are taking place and he has disrupted the status quo of the church the synagogue so much so that he's no longer welcome in the synagogue for teaching and so when we read Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 13 it says and he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them what you have to envision is that Jesus is no longer welcome in the synagogue and so now his pulpit is the seaside. And he walks and he talks. And Jesus, especially in the book of Mark, is a storyteller. Jesus almost always speaks in stories. Oh, well, there once was a man who had a, a plot of land. Or well, there once was a father with two sons. Or the kingdom of heaven is a little bit like a, like a mustard seed. And you know that one time you lose that one sheep out of the hundred you have and everyone's listening because he's a phenomenal storyteller. And he's walking by the sea of Galilee. And you have to understand the Sea of Galilee was a trade route. Basically, you went through Capernaum if you were going to Rome or any other part of the world. And so all throughout the seaside were tax collection booths. Think of a, a toll booth when you're driving in, in maybe the, the northwest part of our country. You have the, the big turnpikes and the toll booths, right? Or think of going to the gate at the zoo and someone's going to collect the fee. Or think of your, you know, your IRS agent knocking on your door. These are the people who are collecting what's theirs. This is the port. Everybody who is bringing grain or food or money or gold, they had a tax just for you walking from point A to point B. Now, Rome and Herod were smart. They didn't want people hating Rome and hating Herod. They, there was enough of that already. So what they did is they recruited young Jewish men to collect the taxes. 
They would say, okay, we need, we need X amount of taxes for X amount of people, and we're just going to sell that to the highest bidder, and then he can collect that for us, and anything above it, he can have. And so you have these young, zealous, excited, entrepreneurial Jewish young men who are like, I'll do that. That sounds like an easy gig. And what they don't realize until they're in it is that being a tax collector, according to Jewish law and the culture at hand, is being a betrayer of the very people of God. You are hated, maligned, spit on. My mom worked for an airline during COVID. Oh my gosh, she would come home in tears. And I'm like, mom, are you okay? And she's like, it was everyone who calls, everyone I speak to is just, they're just like berated and they're angry. They're beside themselves. No one understands. They're screaming and yelling. They hang up and they curse. And I could just see the life just being drained from her until I said, you just need to get rid of that. Let's, let's move on. Let's find something else for you to do. And, and, and I remember thinking how exhausting it must be for her to every day deal with someone who just completely hates your guts. This is the life of Levi, the tax collector. Nobody likes him. And everyone he deals with is frustrated, angry, disappointed, and then there's Jesus, no longer welcome in the synagogue, no longer welcome to, to read from the scrolls, encountering the lackey of the Romans, the lackey of Herod, the one who everybody can agree on, we dislike. He's walking along the seaside and he's teaching. No doubt Levi has probably been on the outskirts of the crowds of Jesus as he's been traveling throughout the Sea of Galilee. He's heard of this Jesus. He's heard his teachings. He's enthralled by his words. People would say that no one has ever heard any man speak like that, like Jesus. And he comes up to the toll booth and he's wondering, like, this guy's talking about love and forgiveness. And he's talking about the kingdom of God and his majesty. And he's supposedly the son of God. He can, he can heal people. I've seen him cast out demons. This guy is somebody. And he comes up to the tax booth and no anger, no judgment, no frustration. No, no, no maligning or disparaging or shaming or guilting. Jesus simply puts his hand on the young Jewish boy's shoulder and says, follow me. This is completely different. This is, is not even in, in the realm of anything Levi has experienced recently. Everyone he deals with hates him. I love what Kent Hughes said in his commentary of Mark chapter 2. He said, Jesus saw a man in Levi, not a category, for he knew what that man could become. Sitting on a toll road, working for Herod, hated by all men, as far as Levi knows, he works for Herod, the king of the Jews. And then unsuspectedly, the real, not only king of the Jews, but the king of kings and lord of lords places his hand on his shoulder and says, Levi, follow me. Levi's soul is worn. I'll admit openly what most pastors are feeling um, internally. The last two years of being a pastor, there was no book. One time I bragged about how many books I've read and then Dave told me how many books he read, and I will never brag about it again. <laughs> and uh, 
of all the books I've read, of all the shows, of all of the manuals, of all of the conferences, of all of the podcasts, of all of the sessions and, and, and workshops, no one told us how to navigate the last two years of life in the church of Jesus Christ. It was hard. Do we open? Do we close? Do we mask? Do we not mask? What about the racial tensions? What about the, the socio-economical issues that we're facing? Everyone is divided in our country. Everyone has picked a side. And here I am like, hey, would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2? You know, like, I don't want to offend. I don't want to anger, you know. And, and, then, and then we have a lot of people who like, this is just the reality of American church today. Average church attendance in America before COVID was 1.7 times a month. Average church attendance now is like 1.7 times a year, right? We have a new worship leader in our church, and he's like, he's been coming in three or four weeks in a row, and he told me, you have three or four different churches, man. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, every time you have church, there's a completely different set of people in front of me. I'm like, yeah, just wait. We'll do free food one Sunday, and they'll all show up. Like, it'll be good. You'll meet them all. Don't, don't stress about that. I don't even know how I was beginning to navigate this. You can ask my wife, you can ask my staff, you can ask my children, you can even ask my church because I'm pretty transparent with them. My soul was worn. I sat down at a table with our leadership and I told them, I've given it my all and I felt like I've done a good job navigating this season, but I need you all to kind of step up a bit because I don't know how much more is in my reserve. I know what it's like to be the shell of a man. Many of you have gone through the last two years of, of maybe your children in school or staying home and doing work on Zoom. Man, God, please get rid of Zoom in our lives. Like the frustrations and, and, and all the things that come along with that. And some of you have, have lost friends over political issues. And we can all agree in some degree, whether it's relationship, spiritual, financial, that we know what it feels like to be the shell of who we used to be. This is Levi. He's just what's left. Broken worn down, and a narrative has been written over his life. Levi, you are a traitor, a sinner. There is no going back. You cannot even enter the temple. The Pharisees and the scribes banned even Jewish tax collectors from entering into their places of worship. There is no room for you at our table, and the only friend options you have, young man, are other traitors like yourself. A story has been written, a narrative, he believes. Psychologists tell us that as we are children and we begin to develop who we are in pivotal moments and seasons of our upbringing, that all of us develop what they call a personality, right? Persona, literally from the original language means a mask. This persona, this personality serves us when we're children. I have to be strong, I have to be brave, I have to be shy, I have to, I have to be funny, whatever it is, to help you navigate what your perception of the world and your family and your life is. It's the story we write for ourselves in order to survive, to make it. The problem is, many of you in this room and myself included in certain seasons of my life, are living a new life with an old narrative. We're entering new seasons with the same story. Does some of you have futures and hopes like Scripture gives us, but you cannot go into those futures and hopes with the personality, persona, story, narrative that you keep clinging on to? Yeah, in high school, you had to be tough and cocky and arrogant so that nobody would mess with you so you could make it through, but you're 47 now. 
and it's time to calm down. Yeah, gossiping and, and spreading rumors and manipulating the situations and people served you well when you were preteen so you could be in the cool friend group. But, but you have grandchildren now, ma'am. And that story doesn't serve you anymore. Some of you, like me, have you gotten to the point where it might even feel like you're living somebody else's story? Like, well, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what this is. I don't even know what the future looks like, what it holds for me. This is Levi, written for him over his life, was a story of a betrayer, of a sinner, of a tax collector, as one who does not belong. Whether or not he wrote this story for himself doesn't matter. This is the story he now believes. Whether or not the story that helped you get through your adolescence was written for you or you wrote it to get through it does not matter. The question is, is it the story you now believe? A scribe, a Pharisee, a rabbi like Jesus wouldn't even look this man in the eye. They would have sent someone up to pay their toll and taxes. Yet the rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, walks right up to the table, gently speaks to him and says, Hey, come with me. William Barclay put it beautifully. He said, no one ever believed in the ordinary man as Jesus did. No admonition, no shaming, no disdain, only a gentle invitation. Follow me. And then there are the Pharisees. Verse 15, as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with them? And when Jesus heard it, he said, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, speaking of them. And those who are sick, the sinners and tax collectors do. I came not to call the righteous, speaking of the religious elite, but I came for sinners. The Pharisees get a bad rap. And... Maybe for good reason. But do you ever think the, the Pharisees are the villains? In, in the Gospel of Mark, the Pharisees are the villains. They're, they are the antagonists in this narrative. They are the ones who Jesus is always kicking against. In fact, according to the Gospel of Mark, they're the ones who put him on a cross. That from the very beginning of him opening up the scroll and reading of the temple, from the moment of his baptism to the moment of, of his first sermon on the mount, all of it is always against the backdrop of Mark's story of Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes are there hating and maligning. I have it in me to believe that the only person hated more than a tax collector in the story of Jesus was Jesus himself by the Pharisees. But they didn't start off this way. Nobody starts off the way that they are, right? You don't wake up one morning and go, I think I'm going to be an addict today. I think I'll cheat, you know, have an affair. No one does those things. What is it? It's the law of diminishing returns. It's the little things that begin to add up. It's, it's the stuff that doesn't satisfy anymore, so we go deeper, and it's another drink, and it's another party, and it's another relationship, and it's another emotional affair, and all of those things begin to add up. Nobody wakes up and becomes who they are in the good ways or the bad ways. We believe that Ezra, the prophet, actually started the Pharisees. 
Literally, Pharisee means the separatists, the holy ones. They believed that if they could get all of the Jewish people for just one single day, just one day, to follow all the laws of the Torah, that they could usher in the Messiah and the kingdom of God. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds like a good thing. God, here's what we got to do. We get all the laws right. We follow God's law perfectly for just one day, and then Jesus, then the Messiah, then the Savior, then the kingdom of God and the redemption of all mankind, and, and, and the story can come to fruition if we could just do this. And what started as passion for righteousness eventually superseded their passion for the word of God. Scribes and Pharisees had all the laws written down, hundreds and hundreds of exact ways to honor God, that eventually their laws that they wrote superseded in their hearts and minds and to the people the law that God wrote in the Torah. That their commentary, their understanding was more important than what God said in the first place. What started with good intentions eventually superseded the word of God itself. And here are the Pharisees. And I don't really know where they were. Were they outside the window of Levi's house? Or Jesus' house? We don't know which house it was. It just says his house. Jesus had a nice little HQ with, with Peter's family. Maybe it was there. Levi probably had a nice house because he was swindling everybody's money. So maybe it was there. But either way, the Pharisees are there. Were they outside peering in? Who's in there? Jesus with the sinners and the tax collectors? How dare he? Do they send in some spies like, all right, buddy, put this on. You know, you look good. All right, don't show your face. Keep your hat down. Go on in there and tell us what's going on. I read one commentary, put it this way, that Jesus throws the party and the Pharisees come. But they come only to make known to everyone at the party that they're not there to party. It's like taking a vegan to Tucano's, right? <laughs> like they're there and they're carving the meat and it's all smelling so good. And like, oh, sorry, I don't eat meat. It's like, why are you here? Like, isn't there like a vegan complex you could go off to and live there? I want to eat my meat. This is the Pharisees. They showed up just so they could be high and pompous and, and separate enough to make sure everybody knows, oh, I'm fasting today. I don't eat. We're not drinking. I don't hang out with sinners and tax collectors. We have our own table over here. And they say, look at this Jesus eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. They had nicknames for them. They called them the rabble. Only to show everyone how righteous they were. Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth, was the antithesis of all they stood for. How can he eat with them? Hebrew culture is much different than ours. I'll eat with anybody. Hebrews only eat with people they want to associate with, identify with. Jesus breaking bread and sharing a cup with sinners and tax collector was him identifying with them. These are my people. I'm with them. They're with me. You want to know the most phenomenal thing about this passage? Isn't that Jesus reclined with sinners 
That's always what I've heard from preachers. Jesus reclined with sinners. You need to go out and find sinners in your life and you need to hang out with them. No, 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 no. The most phenomenal thing in this passage is it says that the sinners and tax collectors reclined with him. They were comfortable enough to hang out with Jesus, to let their guard down, their hair down, to relax, to unwind, to share a cup. That they're relaxing with Jesus. I love what Rolf Barnard said. He said, Jesus disturbs everything he confronts. My whole life growing up in church, I went to a Bible teaching church on the weekends and on Wednesday nights. I went to a, a very charismatic church, I'll just call it that. And so with my dad, and so I saw it all, you know what I mean? Like, I saw every, I saw, I saw the, here's the word, word, here's the verse by verse, here's the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and let's consider the socio-economical rhetorical context of, of Matthew chapter 2, right? Like that's, I grew up in that. But on the other side of it, I go on Wednesday nights, and there were people dancing, and there were tambourines, and there were ribbons, and there, at one point somebody was on the floor, you know, it was crazy. That was what I grew up in. But both people have taught me the same thing. Jesus came and died for what? my sins and I believe that wholeheartedly to be true but I think maybe we've missed a little bit of the story as I read the book of Mark I realize that the crucifixion of Jesus didn't happen in a vacuum Jesus descends from heaven hello sinners go ahead kill me for them no there is a story that proceeds Jesus doesn't just die because of my sins. It all leads to a boiling point. The rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, died, yes, for sinners, but he died because he chose to befriend and beloved them first. Jesus didn't just die for my sins. He died because he hung out with guys like me. They put him on a cross. Not just to forgive my sin, they put him on a cross because he was associated with me, with Levi, with fishermen, with tax collectors, with women of the night, the promiscuous. How dare he? He needs to die. Jesus came to befriend those who the church would not. The last, the least, the lost. Alexander White put it beautifully. He said, we shall never understand anything of our Lord's preaching and ministry unless we continually keep in mind exactly and exclusively what his errand was in this world, the sinner. Here's Jesus. And he tells all these stories, but Jesus isn't just a storyteller. He lives them out. Luke chapter 15, we all know it, the story of the prodigal. It's beautiful. And we can study it and break it apart and consider all the idiosyncrasies and nuances. And I'm all for those kinds of sermons. Don't get me wrong, but I'm only here one day, so I'm just going to skip all that. We consider all of it, but here's the story. There is a father with two sons. One is righteous. He keeps the law he never leaves. He is faithful and true. He is a hardworking servant. And the other takes his inheritance and blows it, squanders it. He is a sinner. 
He has lost his way. And one day, the other comes to his senses and goes, I'll just go home. I'll just be one of the hired servants. I'll just go home. My dad has everything. I've lost it all. And he goes home, and the father embraces him, gives him the checkbook, right, the ring. Here, come on in. Puts a new, a new, uh, new shoes on him and a new cloak. And he says, hey, kill old Bessie, the fatted cow. Kill Bessie. We're going to throw a party, right? And they're, all the servants are walking around like Tucanos, and they're carving the meat. And there's a party, and there's music, and there's dancing, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And then who's outside looking in? The righteous son. And what is he? He's indignant. He's angry. How dare him? I've been here all this time. I have been faithful. I've never once stepped out on dad. I haven't abused any of the money. He's never even once, never even once killed anything for me. I've never even got a goat or a chicken. He killed Bessie for him. How dare him? He doesn't even come inside. I'm not associating with that. I can't believe my dad is eating with him. And dad comes outside. Son, it is good that we should celebrate for your brother was lost and now he is found. He said, I never once, never once, dad, have I stepped out. I've kept it all together. And he said, son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You're angry that we're celebrating. But your problem is you've been living in the wrong story. You've been living beneath your privileges as my son. And somewhere along your life, you decided that your story was that you were going to be faithful and stern and keep it all together. That's not your story. You should have been eating Bessie with us a long time ago. I don't know what you're waiting on. Jesus is living it out with Levi. That's just a story of Jesus. That didn't really happen. I don't know if you know that. But that's what's happening with Levi. That's what's happening with him. Jesus throws a party, breaks bread, breaks out the best wine, starts to celebrate. Can I ask a question of you, New Covenant Church members? What story has been written over your life today? I don't know it. You probably do. Or maybe you're discovering what that means. What is the story? I'm just angry. I'm just bitter. I'm just an addict. I'm just old. I'm just tired. I'm just washed up. I'm just a loser. I'm just frustrated. I'm just a bad mom or a bad dad or a poor businessman or poor businesswoman. I'm just not good at, at sports. I'm just, you know, I have a promiscuous past. I'm, I'm uneducated. I'm not athletic. I'm unlovable. I'm not a morning person. That's a good one we like to write over our lives. I'm just antisocial. We all have stories that we believe about ourselves. And the question that I have is, what is it for you? It served you for a time. It helped you get through the divorce or the bankruptcy or your childhood or abuse. Or maybe it just helped you get to where you are now. And some of your stories aren't even like that on the negative side of things. Somewhere down the line, you believe that what you were doing for this church or for your community or for your marriage was spiritual and righteous and holy and good. And maybe for the season that your family needed that version of you or this church needed that version of you. But I came to tell you today, it is quite possible that that story no longer serves you. It doesn't serve you. 
I've met church members, not at your church, probably some in here, but not at your church. I've met church members who tell me that their whole job in their church is to be a watchman. To make sure that it doesn't go astray and that we hold fast to why this church was founded and started. That we keep everybody in line and we make sure we don't go astray. And and there are seasons, don't get me wrong, there are seasons when we need those people. Your leadership is actually built to protect that. But can I just alleviate you of that job today? (laughs) We're good. I got a church about a very fraction of the size of your church. Let me tell you, I come home to emails about the, the temperature in the room. The comfortableness of the chairs. How long it took to check in and out the children. New Covenant Church, we don't need your exegetical commentary on how Steve Stucker did in the book of Jude. We don't need that. That story doesn't serve you. I have a temptation in my life to, when I read these stories in Scripture, identify with Jesus. Anybody with me? Or the story of, like, the hero? Like, you read David and Goliath and his brothers, and I'm always David, right? Like, I am, that, that, that sling, I'm going to take out the giant. You know, that's, that's how I identify with it. And when I read stories like this with Jesus, I'm always Jesus. Oh, well, I'm going to go and throw a party for all my lost friends. I'm going to befriend them. They're going to recline with me. I'm going to recline with them. It's going to be great. And all the haters are going to hate outside the window. And I don't care. I got bad news for you today. Bad, bad news. You are neither, you are either Levi the tax collector or you are the Pharisee outside. You are not Jesus. Either you're a person in this room who has recognized the grace and the mercy of the call of God in your life and chosen to follow him like Levi, or you are someone on the outside looking into everybody else's life, making your judgments and assessments of who they are and who they should be. I heard one pastor put it this way. He said, humility is recognizing that there is a God and you are not him. I always want to identify with Jesus. Be like Jesus. I wore the bracelet, WWJD. You still wearing one, Rich? You're kind of cheesy. <laughs> WWJD, what would Jesus, what would he do? I want to be like Jesus. Here's the reality as you read the Gospels. Quite often, I'm not Jesus in the story. I'm a sinner and I'm a tax collector. Or worse, I'm the Pharisee. So I have a word for two different groups in here today. If you are the kind of person who needs a new story, put your life in the shoes of Levi. He's sitting at the booth. He knows the story. He's the traitor. He's the betrayer. He's the sinner. He's the tax collector. He can't go to church. He can't hang out with his friends. He's only got a small group of other tax collectors to live with. This, will, this is how it is. This is how it will always be. And then Jesus enters, taps him on the shoulder, and says, follow me. i got to give it up for Levi a little bit here. He had a momentary decision, an encounter with the God-man himself, the true king of the Jews, the kingdom of God on earth, Jesus. And he decides in that moment, this will not be my story. I'm not going to live my life this way. I'm not going to continue this way. My story of my life is not going to be that I'm the tax collector and the sinner and the betrayer. I'm going to follow this man, Jesus. You want to know why? I know that he made that decision because Levi is Matthew. And Matthew went on to tell a story to the world. We call it the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in your New Testament. This wasn't going to be his story. 
the tax collector. No, he was going to be the storyteller to tell the world of a better story, a story of grace and redemption and of blood and of, and of resurrection and of forgiveness and of eternity in heaven and a kingdom that cannot be shaken to build a church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. If that's you today in this room and you're like, man, I've been stuck in this story. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's your marriage. You feel like we're just always going to be this way. No, it doesn't have to be that, that way. Let Jesus come in, rewrite that story. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's you personally, like, I just doubt. I'll just struggle with anxiety forever. I'm just an anxious person. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus can deliver you from those things. Maybe, maybe it's your marriage. I'm just an angry dad. I'm just an angry mom. Or, you know, I just, you know, we're not connecting anymore. No, rewrite that story. Let Jesus come in and do that. Maybe you're like, I'm, I'm just a sinner. It's money and it's sex and it's pornography and, and it's lust and it's, and it's, it's, it's ambition and it's consumed my life. I, I ask you today to feel the tap of Jesus on your shoulder and decide this will not be my story. To follow him. To go where he goes. When he goes right, you go. When you go, when he goes left, you go. When he stops, you stop. When he runs, you run. And let Jesus write a whole new story for your life. The choice is yours. Will that be your story? And now I got, got, uh, I got a word for the other people who that wasn't for. If, if you're not the sinner and the tax collector and that word was for you, bad news you're the Pharisee on the outside looking in. And boy, do I got a word for you today. Oh. First time I preached here, I was 25 years old. And I couldn't believe Dave let me do it. Dave used to pull me in his office and straighten me out. And then when I started the church, I would call him and complain. Or just fresh eye, what do I do? And he'd help me walk through it. Sometimes he'd say something real like ominous or like ambiguous to let me figure it out. I don't know, it worked, it worked. But now I've been pastoring in church for eight years. I've been preaching for 12. And I know I'm of a younger generation. I can look across the room and, and recognize that. But I believe that what I am witnessing in our world today is the unfolding of a new move of God. Wars and rumors of war, turmoil and sin. Oh man, Jesus is coming back. I don't know if it's gonna be the rapture or the, 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 the coming of the new kingdom, I don't know. But I do believe he can come back in a moment in a season of revival. And I'm all for the Jesus movement. Seventies were awesome, I gather, wasn't there. <laughs> he did some cool stuff in our world and in our culture and people came to Jesus, I'm all for it. And I'm not here to chasten you, I'm here to encourage you. What New Covenant Church doesn't need is your criticism. You're hanging on to what was. There's new wineskins for new wine. 
My greatest fear for your pastor, my friend Dave, is that when he returns, he returns to what was and not what will be. He's got years left in him. The word of God goes on forever. The story of New Covenant Church isn't what was. Friends, the story of New Covenant Church is what could be and what will be. We don't need, we don't need you to complain. We don't need you to, to offer your commentary. Those boxes in the back are for your money, not your suggestions. As a person of the younger generation, I believe that something new of God is coming and it's going to look different and feel different than the 70s did. And that's okay. What we need from you, let me just show of hands, who here has been following Jesus for more than 25 years? Put your hand in the air. We need you. I'm 33 years old. Some of you have been following Jesus longer than I've been on this earth. We need you to roll up your sleeves and get in the work with us. To believe in new, to believe in revival. You remember your passion? You were, this whole front row was empty when I got here. You were up here with your sandals on and your shirt you hadn't washed in weeks. Your hands were up, the floor would be full. Every one of your neighbors knew you were one of the weird Christians. Your coworkers would run out of the break room when you came in. You were passionate. You would read through the Bible every year. Everyone would hear of the glory of God in your life. You went so far as to start something called street evangelism. You'd be like, hi, my name's Ray. Where are you gonna go when you die? The passion and the zeal. I don't know who told you that part of your story's over. It's not. I don't know who told you you're too old and now I just go and I have my seat and I play once a month in the band and we drop our check in the box and we'll greet once in a while at the door and we'll say hi for coffee. No, we need you back. The new move of God that is coming doesn't eliminate our need for you. No, it, we require you. You want to know what happens when new people come in these doors and meet Jesus? We're going to need mentors. We're going to need mothers and fathers. Brothers and sisters, God's not done with New Covenant Church. How amazing would it be that when our friend Dave returns, that he has a runway to take off on, that we're ready for what's next. We will follow. This will not be our story. Some of you have spent all of your energy this week making judgments and assessments of what is next for your church or your small group or your men's group or your missions team. No, 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 no. Break some bread, open a bottle of nice wine, and recline. That doesn't have to be our story. Abraham and Sarah were barren, and they decided to believe and trust God. This will not be my story. Rahab was a prostitute, and she decided this will not be my story. And through that scarlet thread outside of her window, Samson blew it. He was a a prophet of God, a judge on this planet, God's representation, and he gave it all up for some honey and a honey. And at the end of his life, blinded, he puts his hands on pillars, and the Bible tells us that in his death, he killed more Philistines than the whole of his life. Why? That is the decision he made. This will not be my story. I was so frustrated this week. I'm closing. 
You only have one service now. They told me I can go as long as I want. <laughs> uh, I was out this week with my kids, and we have three kids, Racer, Ruckus, and Rebel. You can laugh. Everyone does. And uh, we had a dentist appointment. We get there, and I say, Rach, what time is the appointment? We're trying to do all three kids at the same time. Parents, you know, get it out of the way, right? And so we're doing them all, and they come out, and they're like, sorry, it's going to be like 30 or 40 more minutes. And I'm like, ah. So we do the thing, and I said, if you have no cavities, I'm going to buy you the sourest candy we can find. They had no cavities, so we went next door to the little dollar store, got the sour candy. We get in line, we get all the way to the front, and the lady goes, oh, sorry, that was my last customer. You have to go to the next line. I'm like, ah. I stop at CVS for some allergy meds. Anybody relate to that right now? And so we're stopping there, and they have these self-checkouts, right? <laughs> and the lady's like, oh, the self-checkouts are open. I'm like, I know, I'll wait. No, no, they're open. If you need help, I'll just go over. And I'm like, okay. Go over there, and it's like, store assistance needed. And I'm like, I told you. I, this, I knew it. Story of my life. How funny it is, the little things in my life that I just go, that's just how it is now. That's just how I am. I live a good chunk of my ministry life this way. Cocky, arrogant, full of himself, 20-year-old, because he could preach. I remember the moment I decided that would no longer be my story. I'm holding my firstborn son. He's born on October 1st, 2015. And I'm in the hospital window the next morning. He's barely born. And the balloon fiesta's going on. And they're all coming across the window like a, like a movie. Like God gave me a movie. And I'm holding this, this, this baby. And I'm realizing that this life no longer revolves around me. And the story that I had put in my life together. The story that I, I had assembled. It served me. My dad left when I was 15 years old. I had to fend for myself, stand up for myself. I had to make sure that, that I was seen and that I was heard and nobody thought I was stupid. And that story served me to survive my adolescence. But God gave me a moment as I held my newborn son and allowed me to be freed to decide that will not be my story. And now I cry every 15 minutes. And yesterday I was dressed up like a princess with my daughter. Everyone's welcome in my home. I'll listen to anybody. I'll be there for anybody. Because I chose that will not be my story. Would you stand? I want to pray over you today. And then Rich and his team are going to lead us in one song. And then you can go home or to brunch. I'm sure that's what you're thinking about already. <laughs> if this word's for you as I pray, feel free in that moment to just receive it with your hands. Father in heaven. I don't know their stories. You know them right where they are. Some of us are sinners and tax collectors. We don't know where we belong. We've been frustrated about what's ahead. We're not sure who we are. The story has served us. We're angry. We're bitter. We're frustrated. We're grumpy. God, I pray right now in this moment that they would choose the option you have given us through the redemption of your son, Jesus, to change that story, to be loving and kind, understanding, patient, to join the saints, to join the saints that, that changed who they were because of the light of your son, Jesus, the gentle tap on the shoulder. 
to follow you. If you're in this room today, as I pray, everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. The Pharisees were shutting them down. You just raise your hand if that word was for you. Feel like I need to change my story. I'm ready to change that story. Would you just put your hand up in the air? I'm not going to embarrass you. I see your hands. Maybe it's your marriage, the story of your marriage, the story of your business, the story of your parenting. I see your hands. God sees your hands. You leave your old story here today, and you walk into a brand new story with Jesus. Father, I pray for those hands that were up. You see them right where they are. Would you just overwhelm them with your spirit? Do something miraculous and amazing. Let this be a day that begins a testimony for them. And for the rest of us Pharisees, myself included, God, we repent. We're sorry how much we've made things about us. Our heart was in the right place. We wanted just to please you and honor you, but we're not even sure where that got left behind. We want to eat with you, recline with you. We want to be with you and communion with you. God, would you show us what's next for a new covenant church? Would you break a revival starting in this room that we haven't seen in decades? Would you fill these chairs with sinners and tax collectors like us? Would you allow us to influence the city, to change our schools, to impact our neighborhoods, to feed the poor, to welcome in the single mothers and the widows? God, in this moment, we pray for Pastor Dave. His heart is soft. He's in a season of healing. Oh, God, the temptation to believe that this is his story. In your, in, your, in your power and in your wisdom by your spirit, right now, would you gently place your hand on his shoulder and invite him into a whole new one. In Jesus' name, a new covenant church all said together, amen, amen, amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.